Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Welcome to the Exchange. Go ahead and check in to all of you watching on Facebook. So glad that you're a part of our service this morning. Uh, Listen, let me ask you this question. How many of you know how to swim? No, not everybody knows how to swim. I heard that. That's not true. Not everybody knows how to swim. Not everybody even likes water, to be honest with you. But I remember when I learned how to swim. So brief story. Uh, My dad was a pastor in Brownfield, Texas, by Lubbock. And there was a place in Seagraves that had an Olympic-sized pool. It looked like just a giant barn. But when you go in, it was really awesome. And my parents got me swim lessons when I was a kid. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I vividly remember those swim lessons because I hated them. Swimming lessons were terrifying to me. And it was terrifying because I'm with this girl that I don't know. I'm probably seven. I don't know how old I was. I don't think I was 18 or 19. No, I wasn't. I was like six, seven, somewhere in that age group. And this girl keeps taking me to areas that I can't touch, and I didn't like it, okay? That's a scary feeling. It's terrifying. And then she had the nerve, the audacity to take me up to the medium dive. You know, there's a normal diving board, and at this place, they actually had a a platform high dive, but she made me get on the 1,000 feet, and she would just float there in the middle. She's like, just jump to me. Just jump to me. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. It is, there is nothing in my body that could get me to the point of jumping. It was terrifying, right? So we have a pool. And so we've, you know, in the last couple of years, we've been focused on making sure our kids know how to swim. And I remember taking Parker and trying to get Parker to swim. And then we got him lessons and stuff. But I would pull Parker to the middle of the pool, and he would scream this, I want out. Get me out. (laughs) And we're in the middle of the pool, and I'm just trying to teach him how to swim, and he just wants out. It's terrifying, right? And it's terrifying. And, And if you know how to swim, if you can swim, it's just so natural. It's so easy. But if you don't know how to swim and you are trying to swim, there's nothing more unnatural than going out into the deep waters and trying to swim, right? And they say this, that the younger you are, the easier it is to learn how to swim. The older you are, the more difficult it becomes. And so it's better to learn as children But when you learn how to swim, no matter when you learned how to swim, swimming requires something of us that we all naturally resist, and that is this, surrender. Everybody say surrender. Surrender, whether it's surrender to an instructor or surrender to a parent, surrender to an older brother or sister, we resist surrender. And when you resist that when you're trying to swim, you cannot learn how to swim. When you resist surrender, you can't learn how to swim. And those of us who eventually learned how to swim, we eventually got into the water and we eventually let go of the side of the pool. And when you let go of the side of the pool and you surrender 
to whoever it is that's helping teach you how to swim, you are taken into a whole new world, a world that you would have never, ever known had you not finally surrendered and let go of the side of the pool, right? And, and, and now that you've surrendered, you can enjoy the pool. And while other people who resist surrender to the pool or the land, right? They have those sports from the safe distance of the side of the pool or the land, right? They have to enjoy wakeboarding from the shore and skiing and canoeing and scuba diving and, and you know, cliff diving if you want to do that. I don't know what you're into. But lift, listen, you have to learn to live life without the fear of water. And when you resist surrender and you can't learn how to swim, most people who do that grow up with this innate fear of water, right? Man, I know I have a, a really good friend that I grew up with since we were in, man, kindergarten together, and he is deathly afraid of water. And we played baseball together, and I remember having a pool party one year at the end of baseball season, and this guy barely got into the gates of the pool. And he got into the gates of the pool, and he stayed away from the water. He didn't want to be splashed. And if you grabbed him like you are going to pull him in, we're like in the seventh grade. I mean, he just goes to a limp noodle and starts screaming bloody murder, deathly afraid of water. But it's scary, right? And as long as a child insists on having their way, then their way gets in the way of them learning how to swim, Right? And their childhood fear of water could potentially sentence them to a lifetime of fear of water. So a lot of times, parents, and I was, I was going to say good parents, but it doesn't mean you're not a good parent if you don't teach your kids to swim. But most parents, really, whether they know how to swim or not, whether they actually have a pool or not, most parents want to get their kids to learn how to swim at an early age. For a lot of reasons, one, so that they're always safe around water and that they can get out. But another reason is so they don't grow up, especially if you don't know how to swim, so that they don't grow up like me, right? So that they don't grow up with this just fear of water. And so we, we push kids. And so today, that brings us to this. We're in part two of our series, Prayer 101 for Adults. Now, most of us, we grew up praying. And, and it's kind of quiet in here this morning, so I'm going to ask for audience participation. I might get a couple of you up on stage to help me out, and I'm just kidding. But uh, most of us grew up praying, but our prayers didn't necessarily grow up with us. Our prayers kind of stayed the same. We grew up, we grew up praying, but our prayers never really matured, and they never grew. We were taught how to pray as children, and some of what we were taught to pray is good. But as we learned last week, some of what we were taught to pray as kids maybe wasn't quite so good. And speaking about last week, we discovered that we're not the only group of adults that never really learned how to pray adult prayers. Apparently, some of Jesus' closest followers never learned really how to pray a grown-up prayer an adult prayer, and, and something became acutely aware of during one of Jesus' times of prayer. They were listening, and they heard Jesus praying, and here's how it went. Jesus is praying, and if Jesus is praying 
correctly, right? And these guys are listening to Jesus pray, and Jesus is probably doing it the right way. We would all agree that that's probably the right way. Then they, listening to Jesus pray, realized, I must not be doing it the right way because it doesn't sound like the way he's praying. And, and so they realized that if Jesus is doing it the right way, that they had a lot to learn. And so they, I don't know whether they had a group dis- this question. They had to add, they had to present Jesus this, this moment. And so they push out a spokesperson. The spokesperson walks up to Jesus, says this, Lord, teach us how to pray, okay? Teach us how to pray. Most of us live our entire lives and never have really learned how to pray, how to pray correctly. Maybe, maybe it was time for them as they sat there and, and they had prayed probably their entire lives. Most of them, uh, historically, being raised as Jews, had grown up praying the same prayers, the same scripted prayers over and over and over and over their entire lives. These guys, followers of Jesus, had been praying a lot. And, and suddenly, they're faced with this moment that they realize maybe we're not praying right. Maybe it's time that we learn prayer 101, you know? We start from the beginning. We learn the basics. We learn how to pray like an adult. Now, I would imagine, and we talked about this last week, that if if uh, you're honest, probably none of you have ever went up to somebody and asked them to teach you how to pray, right? Something we don't do because we're taught as kids that it's just offended if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know, I was listening to you pray, and um, you're not doing it right. And so, uh, Adriana, I want to teach you how to pray because, you, you, you know, you're missing it. It's not working. Uh, right? That would offend us. It would offend us if somebody were to say that, and rightly so. So we begin last week learning this lesson, How to Pray from Jesus, and, and some of what even Jesus taught us last week, you might have went home and you might have been borderline offended at some of the things he says because we would like to believe that we as Christians, as believers, we know how to pray, that you can't teach us how to pray. We've been praying our whole lives, right? But, but Jesus, as it turns out, Jesus, like, like the disciples, we might not have been praying correctly or to be more specific. We haven't been praying the way Jesus prayed or the way that he instructs us to pray, okay? So if you're a Jesus follower, or if you're not a Jesus follower, and, you, and maybe you still pray, uh, you could probably pick up a few tips from Jesus about how to pray correctly. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, and you do believe, that, hey, man, Jesus is my guy, it's my homeboy, I'm a Jesus follower, then being a Jesus follower you should follow, right? Jesus, because that's kind of being a Jesus follower. Never mind. So we should follow Jesus' instructions. And Jesus' instructions regarding prayer, he's very specific. We talked about this last week. He says, but when you pray, and he tells us how to pray. And he doesn't just tell us how to pray. He also tells us how not to pray. He says, well, when you pray, don't pray prayers to impress other people. Why? Because God is not impressed by your impressive prayers. And he says, and also, don't keep going on repeating the same thing over and over and over and over, because the volume of your words, we think, somehow moves God to action, but it doesn't. The volume of our prayers doesn't move God into action. 
And what he says next assures us that he knew why we think prayer was so perplexing to begin with. He said, listen, when you pray, don't go on and on and on and on and on and on. And he says, and here's why. You don't need to ask on and on and on. Why? Because your father knows what you need way before you even ask him. So there's no sense of going on and on and on and on. He already knows that. He knows that, to which we respond, well, if that's the case, and our Father already knows everything we need before we ask Him, then what's the big question? Why pray, right? Why pray? Because for us, a lot of us have grown up, and the whole focal point of our prayers is to ask right, to inform God of all of our needs. And, and, and if Jesus, if, if, if we're not sure now why to pray because he already knows everything we need before we ask, then Jesus has us right where he wants us. And he has the disciples right where he wants them. Because now the question is, well, then why, why do we pray? And Jesus wants the disciples to know how to pray. Jesus wants them to understand why they should pray. Because Jesus has not taken away the power of prayer and the, the authority that we have through prayer. Jesus is trying to explain why, the, why we should pray in the first place, basically informing God of all of our needs, right? We've kind of reduced prayer to informing God of all of our needs and all of our wants and of all of our wishes for me. And then sometimes when we're not selfish, it's about we inform God of all of our needs and all of our wants and all of our desires for the ones that we love the most, right? Because it's not always about us. And so we, we want to inform him of all the things we want for other people too. And, and we do that. And, and that's okay. That's why we, we thought we prayed. That's why we were taught to pray. But maybe, maybe, just saying, I'm not saying you're wrong, but maybe. What if we were wrong? What if that's not the purpose of prayer? So then Jesus keeps going. He gets really specific. He says, but when you pray, I want you to do it this way. I want you to go into your room and close the door. In other words, I want you to find a place and I want you to isolate yourself. Now, when Jesus is actually teaching this prayer, this was very difficult for his first century followers to follow along because their houses weren't like our houses, okay? They probably didn't have a four or five bedroom house like some of you have. They probably, uh, if they had divided rooms, they probably didn't have doors. If they had doors, their doors were probably made of strips of leather or cloth. And so to go into your room, close the door and find a place to pray, it was probably difficult for them. And we don't find it difficult to pray because we don't have room. Today, we find it difficult to pray because we don't have time, right? We're just busy. We're busy. We're so distracted with life. And maybe you're like me because I am, I am a little bit ADD. Uh, uh, my wife, I drive her crazy because I have to tap or click or touch. I have to be moving constantly. And so even when I'm sitting still and half asleep, I'm tapping. I, I rub the, my blanket together on my bed. Uh, I'd have to put it and I just have to rub it. I just have to do something all the time. And so when I get into my quiet place and I find time to pray, I am so distracted. And if anything is going on around me, 
TV or music or whatever, I just get off track so fast. So when I think about what Jesus is saying, I feel very specific to me that what he's saying is you got to lose the distractions. You got to get into a room, close the door, isolate yourself, and pray. And he says, but when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. We talked about this last week, and this may have been a little bit offensive, but Jesus is saying this. I'm not asking you to pray to me. I'm not asking you to pray, dear Jesus, okay? I'm not asking you to pray, dear six-pound, eight-ounce, baby Jesus. He says, but when, I, when you pray, I want you to go close the door, isolate yourself, and I want you to pray to your heavenly Father, not to me. I want you to recognize, pray to your heavenly Father who is unseen. We begin our prayers like that, heavenly Father, right? And last week, we also discussed the tension that may come with that picture. For me, it's easy to pray my heavenly Father because I have a great view of my Father, of my earthly Father. It's easy. He was a great father. He was a great provider. He was a great protector, right? And so it's easy for me to pray that. But when a lot of people read this and they're now trying to view God as their heavenly father, that's not real attractive because they don't have a good view of their real father. And that's, that's perfect because our heavenly father says, listen, I get that. I know that. And I want you to bring that tension in with you. That's okay. We're going to address that together. And so bring that tension. In fact, Peter, who knew Jesus intimately, Peter, and, and I, I personally believe that Peter kind of wrote this after he had seen Jesus with Lazarus, and he raised Lazarus from dead, and, and Jesus wept, because Peter writes some words that, because he's seen Jesus. He watched Jesus closely. And Peter is trying to convince everyone, listen, what you need to do is you need to cast your cares on Christ because I can tell you, you can rest assured that he cares for you. He really cares for you. You can cast him on him because he cares for you. Then Jesus, he gets down to business, okay? And he gives us some specifics. He told us exactly how to pray. And then he told us what to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is where we are to pause. That is where we are to recognize who it is that we're addressing. The great, awesome God who has no equal who has no rival, the uncreated creator, who is both infinite and yet intimate. And when we pause to reflect who God is, and I love this, we begin to gain a better understanding of who we are. Listen, you cannot understand who you are until you understand who he is. So when you pause and you stop and you reflect on how great and mighty and awesome and infinite and intimate God is, then you're able to put in perspective who you are and, and, and the, the goals and the dreams and the plans that God has for you. This is where we regain our bearings. This is where we remember the context of our lives. And if you rush by that, you'll resist what follows. You can't rush by acknowledging what follows is why we pray. 
So we can't rush by acknowledging who God is. And what follows is this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now in my life, in my relationships, with my resources, with my plans, with my schedule, at which that point we're tempted to join Parker and scream, I want out, <laughs> right? Get me out. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this surrender stuff. Your will, <laughs> that's scary because I'm not 100% sure what that includes. I want to be in control. I want to be in control. That's just too open-handed. I mean, I want God to do my bidding. And to be honest, I'm just afraid of what he might require of me if I let go of the side of the pool. I will guarantee you that most of my teenage life, whenever I would rededicate my life to God, you know, every summer at camp, and I would refocus and I would go, okay, this for real, I'm 100% in God. One of the things that I would pray, and it scared me to death, is God, whatever you want, I want your will. And I would, I would brush by that as fast as I could. I would say it so that he saw that I was trying to commit, but I would say, whatever you want. And then I would, and I would do this, and I'm not joking, this is going to sound funny, so don't laugh because I'm not saying a joke. But I would say, whatever you want, God, your will be done. But please don't send me to Africa. I would say that almost every prayer because I would hear people talk about how they were praying and did God just put a burden on them for Africa and then they packed up and sold everything and moved to Africa. And I was like, I'll do whatever you want, God, your will be done. Just not Africa, okay? Right, because that was scary to me. And so uh, we, would, we would talk about that. But here's the thing, Peter, the fisherman, who followed Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus, John, Mary, Martha, the apostle Paul, tons of other apostles and disciples would all tell you, and maybe even people that you know would all tell you that you can rest assured if you'll embrace thy will be done, okay? If you can embrace thy will be done, it will introduce you into a world that you will never know and you can never ever experience Without that, you can't experience this impactful, powerful, awesome world without embracing thy will be done, right? So let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, and, and this is really, really Christianese talk here. I'm gonna go back 30 years, okay? But I remember people talking about, I wanna go deep, you wanna go deep, you wanna be deep with God, you wanna go deeper with God. And as Christians, we think that. We think, I want to be deep in my relationship with God. I want to be deep in my faith with God. But you have to understand this. Deep has very little to do with what you know, and it has everything to do with letting go. And I am talking about a pool. Okay? If you want to go deep, it's all about letting go. In your faith and in your relationship with God, that, that closeness, that tightness that you desire to feel, it's not about gaining more knowledge, but it's about finally resisting the surrender. It's letting the surrender take over and giving up and, and, and embracing thy will be done. 
but we don't really come to God to surrender, right? We usually come to God to get rescued. And oftentimes, we, we come to God to get rescued from things that we shouldn't have been in in the first place had we surrendered in the first place, right? So we, we ask God to get us out of situations that we behaved our way into that we never would have behaved our way into had we woke up that morning and said, today, your will be done all day long. Just your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. My will can wait. My kingdom can wait. My needs can wait. You first. When we wake up with that kind of attitude, it's hard to behave our way into a situation that when we're then going, oh God, please help me out of this situation. Get me out of that. I don't know what's happened. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm so stressed out. You said that you wouldn't put more on me than I can bear, God. Where are you? Well, if you'd have just surrendered in the first place, you wouldn't have done what you'd done and been where you've been, and now you wouldn't be calling on my name, begging me to get you out of what you got yourself into. And that's why a lot of times he doesn't. A lot of times he allows us to get ourselves out of those situations, right? How many times do you tell your own kids, well, you did it. You got to fix it. There's a lesson. It's okay. That's okay. uh, No amens. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not discouraged. I'll just keep. Purpose of prayer is to align. So the purpose of prayer, listen, the purpose of prayer is to align our will with God's will. Man, that is so perfect. That is so beautiful. That's why we pray. Praying for anything else and outside of any other posture than this. We're missing the point. Our prayer first should be to align my will and your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, in my life, in my situation. And that becomes part of the challenge. The purpose of prayer is not to, sur- is to surrender our wills, not to impose them. And it becomes really evident in what follows. So I challenge you, I challenged you last week, uh, as we ended to go this week, and I know some of you did it, and I got some really awesome text messages from different ones of you and some people that watch online and a few messages on Facebook, uh, but I challenged you to do this. Start your prayer by first declaring his greatness, which is, we're pretty good at, right? I think we're good at that. And then second, surrendering your will. That is the part we're not as good at, but we're working on it, right? And that's what he wants. He says, hey, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that tension. Don't worry about it. I'm not expecting you to just change overnight. I'm wanting you to acknowledge where I want to get you. I want you to explore something you've never seen before. The only way you could do it is let go of the pool. I can't tell you how many times I held Parker and said, I got you. I've got you. The last thing I will ever do on the face of this earth is let you drown. I will never, never let you go. Why can't you trust me? And if there's something in you that fears or hesitates to pray that, your will be done. If you're afraid to let go of the side of the pool, which is understandable, pay attention to that because, listen, honestly, there's no point in continuing as far as, as you can get and you have an issue with 
thy will be done. Everything else, everything else that he's going to talk about after this assumes surrender, right? So we have to first prioritize and, and prioritize God's will over our will, God's kingdom over my kingdom. And, and because if we want to get to the next level, if we want to explore this awesome, awesome world that we would never, ever know, we have to be good with surrender. He's actually inviting us to ex experience the world in this unbelievable place, but until you surrender, it never happened. And from there, Jesus pivots, and he pivots to a place that we usually begin our prayers, and that is now, that was my intro to today's message, okay? So now we're into uh, Prayer 101 for Adults Part 2, but don't, don't worry, it's real short. I just had to have a long intro to balance this sermon out so that y'all think that was good. <laughs> and my jokes just don't go anywhere sometimes. Listen, he says this. He says, and this is how you should pray. This is the part we like because it gets to the give us part, okay? We like the give us part. Give us, right? Everybody likes the give us part because that's exciting. He says, and when you pray, give us, right? Finally, give us. He's actually not taking prayer requests, so he's not actually asking you to say whatever, you know, he's not saying, give us, and you fill in the blank. He actually tells us what we are to ask him to give us, okay? So he says, give us, and, and surprise, uh, it has everything to do with surrender. It's just FYI, we're about to get there. He says, now, when I begin praying, I, and this, when I was young, you know, most of you probably memorized the Lord's Remember, uh, I, I was taught that there, there are three things that you can remember, uh, that you could say to remember what he's asking of us, and they all start with P. It's PPP, and it's not payroll protection plan uh, that you get denied of. It's, uh, it's actually provision, pardon, and protection, okay? Provision, pardon, and protection. Now, the provision part of the prayer and a lot of you are familiar with, but he says, now when you pray, something that most of us probably don't have to worry about, okay? I, in fact, looking around and even looking into the camera and seeing all of you in your pajamas at home, I can tell most of you probably don't struggle with that prayer of give us our daily bread, right? In fact, most of, most of us have too much daily bread. For example, uh, <laughs> display A here in front of you. Uh, we have more daily bread than what we need. We consume more daily bread. But when Jesus is saying this, he's addressing his first century followers. And when he's addressing his first century followers, immediately they are taken back to a story that they have been told their entire lives. It was one of the greatest stories ever told. It was about them their, their ancestors coming out from oppression and, and walking and trusting God, and they walk through the wilderness, and eventually they get to the promised land. But there was a part of that story that they were told over and over and over and over. And so when Jesus says, pray, give us today our daily bread, they are taken back to that moment that their ancestors every morning would wake up and bread to sustain their bread. And it was enough bread to sustain them all day long. And it was awesome. And they would, lay, they would say, wow, what a great day. 
And they would wake up the next morning and go outside. And there was fresh bread. Every day. Every single day. Over and over and over and over and over. And what God was trying to teach the nation of Israel back then, and what God was trying to say to their ancestors was, listen, you are dependent upon me. I'm trying to teach you that you need me, and since you need me, I will always provide exactly what you need. Did you know when you study that whole thing out, did you know that in that time period when they were getting fresh manna from heaven, did you know not one person ever got sick? Angel food, right? Not angel food cake. That's good too. But, but I, I'm, I'm talking about every day they had exactly what they need. And Jesus, God is, Jesus is trying to teach them that the message from God was, I'm your provider. In fact, God begins to do that. And every day they come out of their tent and they eat this fresh bread, and it lasts them all day, and that happens forever, for a long time, years. This goes on that, that God is providing for them. In fact, God comes in, and he eventually tells them, now listen, right now you're crawling out of your tents, and you're getting your bread, but there's going to be a day coming in the nation that not only will you have enough for you, y'all will have so much that other nations are going to begin to come in, and they're going to start buying from you. And he says this, now you just remember this, that you will be just as dependent upon me then as you are now every day crawling out of your tent. He's trying to teach them that you are dependent upon me. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. The same is true for us. This is part of our prayer. When we remind ourselves that God is our ultimate provider, and I'm not talking about just what you eat. I'm talking about in everything. In fact, when you think about it, a lot of the things that we depend on uh, God for, uh, we have little or it are tough and you over. Some of us, we face seasons that are tough and you may be facing a season now that, but a lot of us can relate to this. You faced a season where you just knew that there's no way out of this without God that the only way through this season is God. I have to depend on God. And if you've never faced one of those seasons, I don't want to, to curse you or anything, but I'm saying rest assured it's coming, right? Because we go through those. We go through those seasons where we have to find our total dependency on God. And Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to pause and I want you to declare Declare our dependence on him for everything, every day, every single thing. And he says this, lest we forget. Now, this is a big deal in our culture because really we, we can't relate real well to this because we live in a culture of excess, right, where we have way more. You know, it's hard for us. We don't live in a, a privacy kind of relationship. We live in an abundance style relationship where we just have more than what we can take. And so what happens is we begin to take things for granted and we, we begin to expect things and we feel entitled to things. And consequently, we become ungrateful, right? Uh, back in 2003, I took a group of Bible students to Haiti and I met this little girl and 
Uh, long story short, I adopted her, and uh, she's now at Texas State. But when I met her, she was so malnourished and so sick, uh, worms so bad. Her belly looked like she had a, a, a volleyball. You know, she kind of looked like E.T. when she walked because she just had this giant belly. And the kids, when we'd go to the orphanage, they'd bring out this bowl of rice, and the kids would be able to grab this rice, and the older ones could use two hands. They'd grab the rice, and they would stick it in their shirt pockets or in their shorts pockets. And all day long when you're playing Frisbee and soccer with these kids, they'd be eating that rice, and that was their food all day long. And I watched this little girl that I was starting to fall in love with and that I knew immediately that I was supposed to sponsor her, support her. I was supposed to get her out of that orphanage. So I went to go buy her out of that that orphanage so I could help take care of her somehow. And I remember just thinking, she's going to die. She's going to die if somebody doesn't do something. So, So we get back home. We fly back into Houston. I was living in Wichita Falls. And somehow, some way, and Tisha might remember this better, but I didn't know, I wasn't from here, so I didn't know the area at all. Somehow, we end up on 1960, headed back to 45 so we can get back to Wichita Falls. And I remember us stopping at a Mexican restaurant, a Mexican food restaurant. And as we went into that restaurant, first of all, I didn't even want to go in. I was super, super sad that we had just left Jenica and Haiti. Very, very... uh, confused about what might happen next, what to do, what I'm, how, what do I do, how do I do it. Uh, legally, I wasn't even old enough to adopt her by law in Haiti yet, and so it's just all these emotions going on, and I was like, man, I can't eat, I don't want to eat. We go in this Mexican restaurant, and I remember just being angry with everybody, everybody there. I was just like violently angry with everybody. This one guy across the the room, you can hear him. He's like, yeah, this is not what I ordered. I ordered this and this and this. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what a jerk. And I'm just like furious. And I'm looking at all this food on my plate and I can't eat because all I can think about are those kids who had nothing. They had literally nothing. And you can't, I can't even put, paint you a picture good enough for you to imagine what it was like. And I would spend, and this happened for a year and a half. I'd go to Haiti, spend a week, come back mad at Americans for a week. And I had to remind myself every week when I come back, I am blessed. God has blessed me. God has blessed me to be born in America. I was blessed to have a job. I was blessed to have food. But it was a struggle struggle seeing how much we in America just take things for granted, and we are never satisfied. It was a struggle. Anyway, as you learn to pray through the Lord's Prayer, there's an additional prayer from the book of Proverbs that I want to introduce you to, and I want you to use this to kind of supplement this portion of the Lord's Prayer. So, so really so that you don't rush by it too quickly. And before I share this with you, I want to go ahead and I dare you, this week it's going to be part of our homework challenge. Like last week we had the the pray, I uh, declare your greatness and surrender your will. This week we're going to add another homework challenge. But I, I challenge you to pray this every day. And the reason I do is because I want it to do for you what it did for me. And what happens is when you pray this prayer, you seem to get confronted with things you don't really want to be confronted with. Okay, 
You, you feel like you're in the deep end, the deepest end, and your fingers are being pried off the side of the swimming pool. And so this is what the writer of Proverbs, he writes. He writes this. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. <laughs> that doesn't sound like exactly the prayer we want to pray. Make me rich, God. I want to be rich. Now, did I date myself? I dated myself a little bit. And we pray that prayer, Heavenly Father, but don't give me more than I can handle, and don't give me so little that I'm tempted to do something stupid. Right? Okay? Don't give me more than you know that I can handle, but when we pray that, that doesn't seem like a very American or Western prayer, right? But he continues and he explains why. He says, listen, otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or is there even God? You know, I'm doing so good on my own, I don't even think I need God, right? I mean, look, I have worked my way up the ladder. I am so blessed. I don't even know if I need God. And then he goes on, he says, or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Listen, that's, that's kind of an old school prayer right there, but I dare you to memorize or write this down and put it somewhere and pray it. Heavenly Father, keep falsehood and lies far from me. I declare my dependence on you. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me what you know that I can handle. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is God? Who needs God? I can do this on my own. I don't have time for faith. I don't have time for God. Or I might have such a need that I'd be tempted to steal and do something dumb, do something outside of my own character that would compromise my, my resemblance, my bearance to you. Just as I'm not above abandoning God for having too much, I'm not above stealing when I have too little. And when you, when you say this prayer, it slows you down. It slows you down and it reminds you of your dependence on God for every single thing that comes your way. It reminds you of our propensity to allow God's blessing in my life to not lead me astray. Because you know somebody like that, right? Uh, when, when I'm writing this down, I was, I've, a few names popped to my mind of people who used to just love God and, and just all sold out. And all of a sudden, success of life started happening, and they find themselves in this place where they have no need for God. You know, they did it. They succeeded. They, they got there, and they won. They bought the T-shirt. They no longer needed to trust God. They were able to take care of things themselves. Listen, I have the potential to be that. You have the potential to be that. So he says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Don't allow me to deceive, be deceived into thinking that I don't need you every day for everything and once again, we find ourselves, as we pray, back open-handed, right? We can't touch the bottom. We found ourselves in a place of surrender. So that's provision. There's provision, pardon, protection. This is the pardon part of the prayer. Uh, most of you that have memorized this, you know how to pray it, right? We get to the part that says this. 
and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I would imagine that if you grew up praying and somebody taught you how to pray or somebody had influence in your life or you grew up in Sunday school, whatever, there, there was always a lot of emphasis on the forgive me, forgive us of our sins, right? Uh, that's the way I, I really grew up. A lot of emphasis on forgive me, okay? Uh, you may have been taught every day you need to wake up and you need to say, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because there was so much emphasis put on that. But there was not near as much emphasis in my case that I remember on the second half of that verse where he says, as I have forgiven my debtors, right? I mean, it's all about forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, but we don't focus a whole, whole lot on because I have forgiven my debtors. That's just not the way we say. Here's Jesus' teaching. Heather, Heavenly Father, forgive me in the same way and to the same degree that I have forgiven people. Now, when he's talking to, to the first century people here, now, they were still living under the old covenant, okay? There was about to be a transition into the new covenant, and so they're still praying the, a, lot of, a lot of weird prayers. So when, when we pray this, it serves as a reminder to us to pray for what has been given to us. I need forgiveness. God is saying this. So what you need forgiveness from me, right? You wanted forgiveness of me. You got forgiveness from me, right? Well, yeah, God, that's what I want. I want forgiveness from you. And so God says, so that, does that mean that you surrender to me? And we would say, well, I mean, well, what does that mean? And God would say, I mean this. Are you asking something of me that you're unwilling to extend to everyone else? As Jesus followers, we are required to follow, right? To follow Jesus. We don't have an option. We're required to do this. Do unto others, right? We're, we're required to do that as, as God through Christ has done for us. We forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven. That's why we forgive. And so when we withhold that, it's not fair. And the Apostle Paul, he comes along later, and he kind of reverses the order here. And this is what he writes. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, right? Well, but you don't know my story, Pastor Jared. You're asking me to forgive, and you have no idea what she did to me. You have no idea what he did to me. And he says, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul was saying what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was alluding to. We don't forgive because they finally deserve forgiveness. We forgive because we were forgiven. We were, we were born into this beautiful relationship with our Father, and we were forgiven. We were just forgiven, and that's why we give forgiveness so easily is because it was so freely given to you. When you pray, he says, ask for forgiveness as a reminder to forgive other people. 
Declare your need for forgiveness. But before you do that, before you move on, take a quick 360 look in your mind and ask this question. Am I withholding forgiveness from someone? Am I withholding forgiveness from someone? Am I withholding something that I wake up every day, especially if you're a grace believer and you believe that Jesus finished it, that he did all the work for you. You wake up every day and you thank God for that amazing grace. How sweet this is that saved a wretch like me, but you can't forgive. Then we've got a problem. Am I withholding something from someone that I expect God to grant me forgiveness? To ask God to forgive you while refusing to forgive your brother-in-law, your ex-husband, your wife, your manager, your neighbor, to thank God for doing to you what you're not willing to do for them? Hmm. That reduces God to a cleaning product, right? He becomes the conscious conscience cleanser, right? Conscience cleanser. I come to God, I pray, I ask him to forgive me of my sin. He forgives me of my sin and he cancels all my debts and it's awesome. And if you were raised like I was, there's even more to that because not only does he cancel it, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the sea of forgetfulness. And it's never to be brought up or remembered again. And so I feel good. I feel great. Me and God are awesome. And it has nothing to do with you, right? And, and Jesus and I, we used this illustration a few months ago in a message. But Jesus even gives the example. He says, listen, when you travel two or three days to go to the temple once or twice a year, like they were accustomed to doing, and you're standing in line at this at the temple, and it's hot, and it's stinky because you got all these animals and livestock around, and you're standing in line at the temple, and all of a sudden it dawns on you that you have somebody back home that has an issue with you. He says, leave your sacrifice right there. In other words, I'm not concerned about you going to the temple and worshiping, making an offering. He says, you leave your sacrifice there and you go fix it with your brother or sister. Then you come back and you worship. You bring your sacrifice. I want to feel good about me, but I'm not willing to forgive you. Contrary to what you may have been told, prayer is not a conscience cleanser. Although we use it for that, a lot of times. And the reason that we forgive others is to ensure, and listen, this is really important. The reason that we forgive others is to ensure that the door is open for those who have sinned against us. If they ever come to their senses or if they ever make a decision that, that they would come to us and as unlikely as it may be in your situation or as impossible, they come to their senses and they realize what they've done and they ask for forgiveness not necessarily to return to the way things were. That may be impossible, may not even be safe. But by forgiving ahead of time, and this is what Jesus is asking us to do, by forgiving ahead of time, you release them from a debt that they may never be able to pay. When you forgive, you're doing for them exactly what your Father in heaven did for you. He forgave a debt that you were never going to be able to pay. You were never going to be able to, to live up to that. Philip Yancey, he famously wrote this, God announced forgiveness ahead of time, 
and we should do the same. To refuse to forgive while asking to be forgiven, well, you know what that makes us? I think Jesus talked about it at the beginning of this whole message. There's a group of people that uh, he classifies as hypocrites, right? It makes us a hypocrite. It makes us a pretender, a user, a consumer. The invitation to forgive, this is part of the posture of surrender. Heavenly Father, you canceled all of my debts. You forgave me of all of my sin. And so absolutely, I will cancel his debt. Absolutely, I will cancel her debt. I will forgive them. Absolutely. Because you, you forgave me. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus connects our forgiveness and what he did for us to forgiving other people. After all, he teaches this. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you have asked for forgiveness. No. He says, you, all men will know that you're my disciple because of the way you love each other. Unbelievable. Because the world doesn't love that way. The world doesn't think that way, but people will know you follow me, that you follow my example because you love people. You forgive, you're quick to forgive, and you're quick to forgive, and you're good at it, and you want to know why? Because he was quick to forgive, and he's really good at it, and he forgave you, and he announced it ahead of time. What if we did the same thing? So to refuse to forgive is to refuse to follow, and suddenly we're not sure if we want to Continue on in this prayer lesson, right? Because to refuse to forgive, if that's refuse to follow, man, then that, that raises a lot of questions, right? It requires too much. It requires for us to let go of our well rehearsed stories that we tell. Come on, I've got a couple of them that help us justify why we can't possibly forgive. Dot, dot, dot right? We've told the story so well, and we almost relive it every time we tell it. And when we do, we tell the story so well, we can get the person that we're telling the story to so fired up that now they too have a problem forgiving that person. Mm-hmm. That's poisonous, right? That's dangerous. We want to go back to the side of the pool, and Jesus wants to introduce us into a world that we'll never, never know until we forgive. Why? Because surrendering to Jesus in this way, you know what it does? It protects us from allowing those who've hurt us from becoming our Lord. Surrendering to Jesus in this way ensures that we don't surrender to bitterness, resentment, anger, revenge. Those are not good masters. Those are not good masters. Lords, they do not deserve your loyalty, but for a lot of us, they become our Lord. They extend the reach of our enemy right into our future and into future generations. Now, again, you know this, and, and, and maybe this is new for you, but you know people that have every reason in the world not to forgive. And I know people, if we were all to sit down one, or we were to sit in a circle, a kumbaya circle, and we were to go around and say, hi, my name is Daryl. <laughs> I'm offended. I have unforgiveness in my heart. And we were to listen to all of our stories. Most of us, if it came down to like voting us in or off the island or whatever, most of us would all vote. I, I vote that he doesn't have to forgive. That's a good one. 
Yeah, that is a good, good story. He has every right, right? We would give passes to, to each one of us because we have good stories. You know who won't give you a pass? Jesus, okay? He's not giving passes on that, right? Jesus wants us to learn how to pray, and it's an invitation to follow him. It's an invitation to surrender. It's an invitation to a better way of living. Jesus is saying this, listen, don't offer things to people or don't, don't receive, ask for things that you're not willing to offer to everyone. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Not only does Jesus ask you to forgive, but Jesus knows the heart. And Jesus says this, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Blessed are the pure and more attuned to see, recognize what God is up to. They will be more attuned to see what God is up to in the world, what God wants them to participate in, what God wants them to be a part of. So before you go any further in your prayers, in your prayer time, ask yourself, who is it that I have to release, that I have to cancel debt from? Who is it that I have to forgive, that I have to let go? And when I do that, I expect God to let it go. I expected God to let it go, cancel it, wipe it away. I have to do the same thing. And I understand that unforgiveness, it feels like you're rewarding that person, right? It feels like you're rewarding the person that hurt you and that like you're letting them off the hook. (laughs) It feels like you're letting them win. Man, trust me, I've been there. I've been there a bunch. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you this story real quick. Um, when I was a young, young minister, I was, I think, 20, 21 maybe at the time, and uh, I went to this church, and I became a youth pastor, and my first Wednesday night, they had like six people, and they had a little table in this little room, and I came in, I was like, hey, you know, I'm Pastor Jared, I'm a youth pastor, and they were like, well, can we go get the snacks? And I was like, snacks? What snacks? And they're like, yeah, they have juice and milk for, I mean, juice and cookies for us in the refrigerator. And I was like, uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to change it up. We're going to start having church, but for young people, you know. We're going we're gonna to love God, and it's going to be awesome. Long story short, my youth group started growing. And I had this guy, the Spanish kid, and I'm not going to name any names, and God just radically changed his life. I mean radically changed his life. So he would call me one night and say, hey, Pastor Jared, what time are you going to be at church? And I would say, uh, you know, probably six. And he's like, okay, well, I need you to be there at six. Open the door. Next week, he'd call me. What time are you going to be at church? Uh, I don't know, six. He's like, no, I need you to be there at five. And I was like, why? He's like, well, I got to start dropping people off at five. I was like, what do you mean? And he had an old white F-150, and he would start dropping people off at five o'clock, and then he would finally make, get, drop off his last group around seven, seven, ten. And he would bring about 35, 40 people by himself to you every Wednesday night. It was awesome. My youth group starts growing. One night, I'm, I'm taking out the trash, and I walk outside, and somebody's spray painting my fence, the Spanish guy. And I was like, hey, what are you doing? I busted him, so he's going to start running. I said, don't run. We started talking. Come to find out, his brother was one of the kids that had just recently come to know the Lord in my youth group. So we started talking to this guy. Man, he shows up at my youth group, <laughs> brings me all these drugs. 
I, he gets up from the altar and he leaves and I've got drug needles and rocks and stuff. And I'm like, oh God, what do I do with this? I mean, it's crazy. Just, his life was just radically changed. And I get called in by my pastor one day and he says, listen, um, man, you're doing a great job. He said, but I, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but some of our board members just don't feel safe with their daughters back there with all those Mexicans. It killed me. I looked at him and I said, really? He said, hey, I, I'm not precious. I, I love everybody. He said, but I just, I just want you to reach out to the white people just as much as you are to the Mexicans. I said, Brother Jack, I'm not reaching out to anybody. I'm reaching out to everybody. I didn't go targeting any group of people. I just was reaching people. And he said, I know, I know. Well, you know that kid, and he named his, said his name. And he said, uh, man, you should reach out to him. His parents could build us a gym like that and not even miss a dime. I said, uh, isn't this town mostly Hispanic? And he said, well, 60-40. I said, okay. And about two weeks later, at this point, I had started a community youth service with like 10 churches. I mean, I would walk to the school and I'd walk into the lunchroom and everybody would start barking at me because we had a discipleship program called Mad Dogs and it was making a difference as disciples of God. Everybody in the whole school, they, if they didn't even been to my church, they would just start barking. I'd walk down the hall and they'd start barking. And two weeks later, I got fired. So I'm packing my U-Haul to leave. And I'm thinking about how I can burn his house down. And I'm thinking about when I'm going to slash his tires. He even had a dog. And I was thinking about how to kill the dog. I mean, I was so angry. I just can't tell you. And all these kids are helping me pack up. And I just hate this man. I hate. I, and I, my mom and dad were like, you need to move here. You know, my dad was pastor in a little church. You come help us out. And I was like, forget y'all. I'm done. I hate church people. I love God. But I'm done with church. Church people are dumb. I'll come and I'm going to love God. I'm going to pray every day but forget you with church. So I moved back home with my parents and slowly different people started calling me and inviting me to do like youth rallies or youth services. And I would go and I'd preach and I'd tell my dad, I was like, man, I just feel nothing. <laughs> I preach and there is just nothing, like zero, not a zilch. You know, I just don't have a passion for it anymore. I just don't feel good. I, I'm, I'm never going to be a youth pastor again. I just... I, I'm not good. I'm trying, and I can't prepare a sermon, can't prepare anything. I just don't like this. And he said, have you forgiven, Pastor? And I was like, <laughs> H to the new. No. I can't believe you'd even ask me that, Dad. Dad, my protector. You know what he did to me. 
he said, son, you'll never be able to get out of this till you forgive him. So he gave me a book on about forgiveness. And I read it, and it was my fault. So in this book, it's, it asks about forgiveness. And it says a lot of the things that I said today about moving on, that we, you'll get stuck. You'll get stuck in your prayers when you can't forgive. There's just no, no place you can go. You can't decide, well, I'm going to leave this unforgiveness here. I'll deal with that later. I'm going to go around the side door, and now we're going to deal with the other issues that I, I have. This, this is the, the big door. It's the only entrance. So I'm reading this book, and it, it says, you know, here's some clues on how you know if you've forgiven somebody or not. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, eh, you know, it's been six months. It's been a year now I've been gone. And I'm like, I've forgiven them. You know, it's over. You know, forget them, whatever. I've forgiven and forgotten. I just don't ever want to see them. I walked into a bookstore one day, and who walks in? He walks in. And when he walks in, I see him from across the room, and I almost threw up. I walked out. I dropped everything that I had picked up. I walked out, got in my car, and I left. And I was like, he is lucky. He is so lucky we didn't come face to face. And that's, I, I, obviously I've forgiven him because I didn't go punch him. I saw him, and I didn't punch him. So see, I win. Ta-da. And in this book, it tells you, now begin, now that you've forgiven them, begin to pray these prayers for them. And it says, say their name, call their name out loud. And then it says, ask God for an abundance in their finances. Uh-uh. Ask God for a blessing in their family. That God would, and it just, this is a list of things to pray for them I couldn't do it so I just left it alone went back a week or two later and tried it again and this happened over like two or three months finally one day I was just done I was done not feeling anything I got to preach at uh, the youth camp that I grew up I got to preach for a they had a an old old time camp meeting or something like that and I got to preach one night and I went and preached and you know, everybody's like, you did so great. And I'm like, that's because I'm good at monologues. I don't have a problem standing in front of people and just talking. I can talk. And that's why there's, it's so sad that there are a lot of pastors who are just good at monologues. You know, it's not really a God thing. They're just good speakers. And I was just a good speaker. And I went back home and man, something had to change. So I got down on my knees and I began to pray. And I began to pray blessings. And when I started meaning it, when I really meant it, when I prayed, God, please bless him. He had a son who was really sick. He was diabetic. And, and I started praying that God would heal him and touch him. Man, I could feel everything. Just like muck and nastiness start to fall off of me. And God just started moving in my life and man it was like all of a sudden everything changed everything changed two weeks later I'm getting a phone call and I'm driving to Wichita Falls because there's this church that wants to hear me and I go and end up at this church I end up walking in I actually called the the secretary and told her that I was sick and wasn't going to be able to make it I was sitting in the parking lot I drove three hours to be there 
And then I see how big and awesome this church is. And I was like, oh, I can't make it. Uh, I'm sick. We're not going to be able to make it. I ended up getting the job. They hired me. I meet Tishan. I meet Ruben. Uh, I meet Lena. Uh, I become the youth pastor. I get to go to Haiti. I meet my daughter, Jenica. And to me, 100%, all, everything good in my life that I have even today can go back to that moment that I began to really, truly forgive. Because everything changed. Everything changed. He coaxes and he coaches you and he invites us here. Sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's scary. And when you start dabbling, especially in a, like a story that I just told, and if you think that story is kind of sick or whatever, I can tell you more because I got a lot of stories of, of people that I could unforgive, right? But when you start dabbling in these situations, you immediately want to grab hold the side of the pool or you do like Parker and start screaming, get me out, I want out, I want out, I don't like this. I don't like it. And even now, I'm talking about this, and some of you, or you may be watching online, and you start thinking immediately about your situation, and you start going, oh, man, I have to face it. I have to face it. And you, you may be good enough to fake your way out of it, crawl your way out, but it's not going to change. My will, Not my will be done, but your will be done. My will is that things could be good between me and God. I just want it to be between me and God. I'm not worried about anybody else. Well, there's a name for that, right? There's, there's a, a label that you can put on that, and you know what it's called? Religion. <laughs> That's what religion is, okay? Religion. I, I'm good with God. I want things good with God. That's why so many... Uh, that let, I'm going to solve this mystery for you, okay, so that you can understand this. This is why so many overtly religious people turn out to be hypocrites. Because religion is simply an attempt, oftentimes an attempt to use God. And so then religion reduces faith to a magic trick or to a good luck charm. But in the end, religion leaves you empty and unchanged, feeling kind of safe, but very shallow. focus on the work that God has yet to complete in me, I'm far less concerned with the work that he has yet to complete in you. I, I, I'm going to skip a little bit. We're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about temptation. That's the, that's the protection part. We've got the provision and the protection, uh, provision and pardon. The protection part we're going to talk about next week. Lead us not into temptation, right? Um, so I want you to be here for that. But listen, before you go, I want you to, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to try your best. Last week we talked about declaring God's greatness and then surrendering our will. So when you get into your quiet time this week, and man, I dare you, dare you, dare you, to find a time and try to try to do it at the same time every day if you can. 
if you've ever like tried to work out or exercise, you have to get into a routine because a lot of times it won't stick. And so find a routine where you can just spend some time with God, close the door, and pray this. Pray, forgive me of my sins as I also have forgiven everyone else that has sinned against me. What if we started praying that? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? And then I want you to do this. You can take a picture of it or write down the, the verse and find it. But I dare you to pray this prayer that that's, we find in Proverbs chapter 30. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much or disown you and say, who is my Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Would you be willing to pray that every day? Just pray those prayers to kind of stop and slow yourself down and prioritize again. Put it somewhere you can see it. Jesus taught, he said, let's pray. Let's pray hands open, heart surrendered. And if we do that, we learn how to swim. When you learn how to swim, you're introduced to a whole new world that you would never experience otherwise. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for so many of us, this is a healthy and helpful review. For others of us, God, this is so challenging. And, and we really want to do get, we want to get out of the pool. So, Father, would you give us the courage to get stuck and to stay stuck in our prayers until, until we're willing and able to pray hands open and surrender to you because you are the Heavenly Father. You are the Father that we can trust. We can put all of our hope in you. We can lean fully into you because we trust you. And I pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus who modeled all of this for us. And it's in his name I pray.